0: Chapter 11 of the Recording Angel by Edwin Arnold Brennholz. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kate Fallis. Chapter 11. But when to mischief mortals bend their will, how soon they find instruments of ill. Pope. We must now return to Mr. Craggy, who, although not naturally a very bright man, was not a fool, even if Robert considered him one he was aware that the strikers had gained two important advantages and also knew that the time for taking those advantages away from them was fast slipping by so as soon as he had disposed of robert he called imperiously to the man on the box to the station as fast as possible when they reached the car he stepped on board and said briskly mr chambers have we any news nothing sir "'Court will not open until 8 thirty, said the secretary quietly. "'Have we a clear track?' was the next question snapped out before the answer was finished. "'Yes, sir, certainly. Then let us be off at full speed. We must be in Clyde when that court meets. There must be no more blunders made!' As Chambers was about to make a motion to the conductor, who was standing on the track outside the car window, Mr. Craggy said hastily, find out first though whether endy has sent a message to his attorney in clyde and also what the message is if he has obeyed my orders there will be no need for us to hurry his crazy old father won't have telephone connection with the world sticks to his old private telegraph you know which suits me just now precisely without a word chambers stepped from the car and walked leisurely to the telegraph office and on the way he thought yes wanting peace and quiet as a sign of insanity as he entered the room he even took time to think as he heard the ticking of the instrument well well no improvement seemed to be able to permanently relegate the old key and sounder to the scrap pile at least so far as railroad work is concerned and he then passed around the corner of the desk and stood behind the operator who was at that moment sending the message which he had just received by telegraph from robert when chambers passed behind the desk the man without looking up said emphatically no admittance and when chambers paused behind him he quickly threw his hand over the written message but when he looked up and saw who it was he flushed to the tips of his ears as he met the man's cool gaze and then he reluctantly and slowly drew his hand away and went on sending but he was cursing inwardly the conditions which made him such a slave that he did not dare to obey even the rules established by the very company that employed him as chambers passed out the man at the instrument said bitterly if i didn't have a wife and children i'd see whether you got private information out of this office i'll pay you back for this degradation some day sure chambers did not hear word of this but when he entered the car he repeated what he had read and casually remarked the operator at steelton doesn't give information to us very readily or very willingly i am sorry to say i mentioned his case before make a note of it said mr craggie savagely i've a little influence on this road myself we'll attend to his case and that one at clyde at the same time the result of which was that that evening, as the operator, tired out with doing three men's work, was putting on his coat to go home, the man, to whom he had turned over the key, said to him, "'Listen to this, Fred, old boy,' and they both heard the words. "'Superintendent of Telegraph, Steelton Division. Discharge Paisley, day operator at Steelton. Charge, incompetence, blacklist. Banks, Superintendent Telegraph.' ticked out letter by letter and these lying and unjust and cruel words took from an honest man the means to earn his living the president's car having in due time arrived at clyde it was immediately shifted to a side track and it was not many minutes thereafter when mr craggie and lawyer johnson the elder were talking behind closed doors no sooner was the click of the latch heard than mr craggie said "Well." We are making a mess of things these days and the trouble most of it seems to have originated in this office this was an unexpected blow to the lawyer who if he could afford to be independent with men like mr endy did not like to think of the loss which the displeasure of such a man as mr craggie was sure to cause him so he hastened to assure that gentleman with even greater obsequiousness than even he demanded from his clerks that he certainly had been misinformed i am not usually misinformed mr johnson was the curt reply mr endy has taken no pains to keep back all the facts in this case quite the contrary i can assure you and i have been thinking as i came down the road that his decision to remove his business to an office that doesn't leak is a good one this sentence finished up all the manhood that was left in the lawyer, and the spectacle that he made of himself disgusted even Mr. Craggy, to whom a certain amount of that kind of thing had become an absolute necessity. So he stopped him with the question. No news yet from court? Oh, yes, said the lawyer. Case is dismissed, and defendant released. Good, I blocked their little game that time. You? Yes, I, and no one else. The two men stood looking at each other for a moment, and then the president said, Now, I want to have a talk with you. We had better go on the car. This strike is altogether too important to have any more leakages. Mr. Johnson winced. So it was not very long before they arrived at the car, and then Chambers was very much surprised to be told to remain in Clyde and follow on the regular train until he overtook them. Phew! said he below his breath as he busied himself with a few final preparations such as putting the work he had been engaged on in a drawer of the table etc phew things are getting very secret indeed when i cannot hear them i am afraid that you are getting too confident of your ability to manage things without suggestions from yours truly mr president really i think that you might as well have trusted me mr craggie but he left the car promptly and gave his orders to the conductor and then the private train of the president of the iron and steel company was almost instantly in motion mr craggie stood looking from the door and he watched chambers until they were half a mile down the track and then he closed and locked the door and taking his seat at the side of the table he usually occupied he turned suddenly to his visitor and said sharply mr johnson i don't think that many men in the united states appreciate the gravity of the situation this is probably the final struggle of organized labor with capital. If we win this fight, we can give every working man, woman, and child a number, and they will have to work when we say the word, and for whatever wages we choose to give them, and for as many hours at a time as we care to demand. The man who can do all that can do anything else he wants to. The man who can do all that and anything else he wants to sits before you. You have known me a long time i ask you to look backward and see whether to your knowledge i have ever ultimately failed to do anything i had set myself to accomplish you are right you certainly have accomplished wonders johnson hastened to assent very good mr johnson now i do not intend to brag but it is necessary for you to make a decision to-day and i want you to have all the facts there are many other men in this country who have millions i have control of enough money besides my own which is more than any other individual's to wipe their fortunes out of existence whenever i wish to do so with the exception perhaps of those who hold government securities they are all at my mercy through the stock exchange and the many other agencies i control you are man of the world enough to know that my power is great and i could demonstrate that every iota of my assertion is true if we had time is it necessary scarcely please proceed was the succinct reply very good then now this strike must be defeated. We have been checkmated twice, and I want you to remember that this is the first time that a strike has even been inaugurated at a moment when we were not at least partially prepared for it, and most of the times we had nagged them into the striking. But this time, and you must fully understand this, we thought the men were fooled by the temporary increase of wages and had given up the fight about the numbers, and because of this delusion, we had failed to sign the wage scale. For for this year for the reason that the election being over and those placed in power who will do as i direct we did not intend to make any more contracts with the men singly or in a body it will be to our advantage hereafter to hire and pay each man by the week so as to be able to drop him at any time then since there are almost as many unemployed as employed men these days oh well you know what that means to us Therefore, we were on the point of extending the numbering system to all the other divisions of the company's works. Afterward, it would inevitably have been forced on every working man in the United States, and, perhaps, in the world, for I have a pretty good understanding with the Continental Rulers. Johnson interrupted. "'Excuse me, you've forgotten the farmers.' And then the President smiled, and Mr. Johnson laughed aloud, and Mr. Craggy said— poor fools we don't need to number them we already own them they support the world and have to take anything we choose to give them and pay anything we please to charge them for everything they use and also there are quite a number who owe us so much on mortgages on their property that if we foreclosed we could own absolutely a large portion of the best farms in the country and we don't do it today because we get more as interest than we would get as rent so long as a farmer thinks that he owns his home and farm he will take better care of them than a renter would besides in this we save the cost of agents to watch the properties oh and then they both laughed outright the farmers are the biggest fools of all then the lawyer said i think that you have omitted the greatest reason for leaving them in their present condition if we do not cause them trouble directly and openly they will not aid the other workers at least now they never do right said mr craggie chambers pointed that out to me years ago chambers is a smart man but the heads that plan this strike are not empty by any manner of means and it is my impression that those same men will not let the strikers make the usual mistake of destroying property either so now I think you can understand the seriousness of the situation. Three hundred thousand workers in iron and steel are out today. They are obeying the commands of three men whom we cannot buy for we've tried that they are aided and advised by one of the wealthy men of the country the old methods don't seem to fit now injunctions have had their day if for no other reason than because the judges refuse to grant them on the usual grounds they say plainly that it is not good law but the fact is they are scared and the worst of it is that they are not scared by the people but by the growing wealth and power of a few men like myself now you know that when i have an attorney to state to him all the facts has always been my practice this aid given by old endy is the severest blow we have ever had there are numbers of the holders of great wealth who have either become tender-hearted at what they call the suffering of the poor or are scared for the same reason that weakens the judges if endy is allowed to go on they will rally to his side and aid the strikers and i will tell you another thing mr johnson if you don't look to your laurels that young man chandler is going to make you take a back seat at the bar johnson laughed amusedly and the other man went on as if he had not noticed the interruption I've been watching him for some time, and if he could have been bought, he would be retained at this moment as your associate counsel. Yes, you need not start, as the lawyer drew himself up hastily. We must have the best brains and ability obtainable, but we must also be able to control them. And Mr. Chandler, while I think him a fool for his pains, is honestly working for the men for something besides money or fame. So that disposes of him." One can do nothing with these fanatics. But I can tell you, with the chance he had at you today, if he had had an opportunity to deliver the speech I am sure he would have made, you would now be second best man at the bar instead of first. Now, then, add to these facts the other one that we don't know how much they've got in their treasury, and I think that you and I will deserve the thanks of the public and some reward if we manage to end this strike without anybody being killed these last words were spoken slowly and deliberately and again mr johnson winced every syllable of this talk had been spoken impressively and in a loud voice after saying these ominously ambiguous words mr Craggy paused and closely examined his companion's face but as mr johnson made no sign he continued in a very low tone i have a plan about which i want your advice and your aid in its execution at this point he spoke so low and leaned forward so close to the lawyer that a man five feet away from them could not have heard a word he said at last he raised his voice and remarked and if things don't go smoothly and don't work out just as we want them to we always have young endy on hand to act a scapegoat for us he deserves some punishment for the mess that he got us into anyway that is my plan and unless you have something better to advise i think we will be compelled to use it after waiting for a few moments during which his companion seemed to be thinking deeply mr craggie said impatiently have you nothing to suggest and then the attorney replied no sir i have not I am accounted a good lawyer and i always try to advise for the best interest of my client and my advice to you today would be to give up the contest at this point unless you think you can exhaust their treasury or can nag them into open antagonism to the general government and then defeat them by force of arms i myself think that they should be considered traitors and dealt with as such they have no right to tamper with the prosperity of the country or it may be that their treasury will be soon exhausted for i don't anticipate that many rich men will furnish them much but sympathy and that you know doesn't fill empty stomachs you might try shutting down all the other works which you control and so cut off the aid the strikers are sure to get from them and by but the president stopped him that was tried last time at chicago and there was such a howl even from those papers we thought we controlled at that and at my threat to remove our plant from any town or city that gave aid to the strikers that i won't try either of those moves again unless virtually compelled to for we must have the sympathy and moral support of the middle class and those moves touch their pocketbooks as i said we must have the sympathy of the middle class we used to have that permanently by their thinking that they would one day become rich men themselves but since our methods have reduced so many of the well-to-do and rich to poverty why of course they are not absolute fools and they can no longer be depended on not on that ground and then again they always came over to our side as soon as some of their property was destroyed but if the strikers are going to shoot to kill when they are acting as deputies as i see by the posters sent out by the committee it will not be so easy to manage that in the old way either no said mr johnson and i want to remark right here that in my opinion the very worst thing that could happen to the company today would be either the death or sudden disappearance of any of the labour leaders or mr endy and personally i would deplore it very much this was said as slowly and deliberately as the President had previously spoken, and he, after looking at his companion for a full minute, said, "'Certainly, certainly. No one could deplore that more than I. It would spell ruin for us, but I think my plan could be made to work, if carried out carefully, without either of those things happening. When I spoke of anybody being killed, I, of course, referred to the possibility of the strike ending in a civil war.' if they rebel we can crush them easily and i was prepared to have them strike and to have something of the kind occur next spring when we were going to extend the numbering system and reduce wages at the same moment i was certain that that committee of three which they thought to keep me in ignorance of was only waiting to collect funds their securing the aid of endy is what upset my calculations next spring i would have been ready for them our contracts would have been filled and as prices are already declining we would then rather have closed down for say six months than not there ought to be a law to string up men like endy as a traitor to his class though of course i hope that nothing will happen to permanently injure him oh i understand of course that is quite another matter said the lawyer it really looks to me as though mr endy is certainly already not quite level-headed or he would not want to aid those men who are working against the interest of his own class i have absolutely no sympathy with him and by the way i remember that arthur was with him at my office yesterday botheration said the president Well. Arthur must just be sent on other business. I have a little influence at his headquarters also, and anyhow you will need time to get the man I must have in communication with me. And then he added significantly, I know that your side used him in the Hotchess' will case last week. The lawyer turned pale as he met the other's look, who then said, we will try this plan first. If we don't succeed in ending the strike our way, in one month we will try some way of dealing with the labor leaders. I am determined to win this fight. I have money, more than I can use. What I want is power. As president of these consolidated companies, these men have defied me and my power, and until the works are running again, and operated by men, every one of whom wears his number, there will be a power in the united states greater than i the presidency of the united states did you say mr johnson why my dear sir who is the greater the man who orders or the man who carries out orders what happened to garfield when he refused to let others dictate to him and to mckinley when he went back on protection and to the czar of russia when he was about to grant a constitution to his people remarkable coincidences eh no no expostulated the lawyer those men were killed by crazy persons and anarchists oh yes of course the actual killing was said mr craggie hastily but i have a theory that when a man gets to be hated or even disliked hard enough by a large number or an influential enough crowd it creates a moral atmosphere which is liable to affect the brains of some crank or other and then the anarchists are always with us anyway they don't provide nearly enough protection for a president to make me wish to do the bossing openly i can always find some small caliber fellow who is more than willing to take the risk for the sake of being my mouthpiece and i can assure you that there will be some other office at the head of this government when i want it no it suits me exactly as it is we don't want to overturn the form of this government violently or any other way not at present that would cause trouble and it is working to suit such men as you and i precisely as it is there is no other country where they turn out rich men so fast or make them quite so rich and powerful either here he looked out of the window and seeing a station in the distance he pulled the bell cord and as they slowed up he said Goodbye, Mr. Johnson. Send the man as soon as possible. We have no time to lose. All right, said the lawyer as he stepped from the car. And then the President called after him. No, it isn't good-bye yet. I must wait here for Chambers, and that express will be a good hour behind us. I am going on as soon as he arrives, and we may as well improve the time by having a good meal. I did not have a cook on board when we started last night. Couldn't wait for him, but we can get a first-class lunch right here so together the two men left the car and entered the railroad restaurant where their conversation was on general topics exclusively during the hour's delay the express on which chambers was following the president arrived but as mr johnson's train was behind time mr craggie remained with him nor did he take leave of him until the train was in motion and then mr craggie hurried to his own car as Johnson dropped wearily into his comfortable seat in the parlor car, he muttered below his breath and with a twinkle of amusement in his eyes, Who would have thought it? The man who has a world-wide reputation for taciturnity does become as voluble as a schoolgirl. But what can one expect? A man can't keep bottled up all the time. I suspect he has talked just that way to Chambers more than once. In the meantime, the secretary had entered the car and unlocked the drawer in the desk and removed a cylinder from the small machine and looked closely at it, and after a moment he said, "Cylinder's full, by Jove! I wonder what went wrong where that blank space is. I'll have to get this down in writing as soon as possible. He then placed the cylinder in a small box especially prepared for it, from which he took another cylinder, which he carefully fitted in the machine, and this he then thoughtfully locked in the drawer the box he placed in the handbag which he stood carefully down in a corner of the car where he could keep his eye upon it. He had just taken his seat again when he heard the president's step in the washroom, and when that gentleman entered the office apartment, Chambers was busily engaged at the typewriter, but stopped for a moment and said, Operators at Steelton and Clyde are discharged. Very good, said Mr. Craggy. End of chapter 11